So I think that's just fundamentals. In what I see in the industry is a lot of confusion. I will see someone who comes to me two years later and they have a regulatory issue. I'm like, who's the lawyer that worked on it? Well, it was the in-house lawyer to the franchise development company. I'm like, who's that? Well, it's so-and-so. I'm like, well, so-and-so is not a lawyer, right? Well, they said the lawyer reviewed it. So be careful. I mean, the one thing I'd be careful of is franchise development companies that say they do everything or have their in-house lawyer or going to refer you to their inexpensive lawyer. They're really just repackaging legal services. You know, I have an issue with that, right? Welcome to the Franchise Founders Podcast. We are on a mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs just like you take action through franchise ownership. Allowing you to obtain more financial freedom, time with family, and ultimately a business that can run on its own without you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. A little introduction on our special guest. I'm fortunate to get to be in his offices today here in Red Bank since it's somewhat local to me. We're hanging out. And our guest today is a, an esteemed franchise attorney. He's been in the space for a very long time and has an incredible reputation, him and his firm. And that attorney is Charles Intonicola with the Intonicola Law Firm. How are you, Charles? I'm doing well, Dan. Esteemed. That's pretty elaborate there. I'm doing well. I'm just reading the bio you gave me. <laughs> 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 well, this is fun. Got the chance to come to Charles's office, which I've been to before. But when did you guys buy this building? You've been here in Red Bank for a while now, right? No, about four or five years. Like It's like a little campus, you know? It's kind of good stuff. Christian, it's cool. If you saw it, it's like this really nice building, colonial type of feeling right on the main street of Red Bank. And there's a lot of people here, Charles. How many? Yeah. And we have team members working remotely in other states. So we're about 16 team members now. Wow. Cool. Well, getting into it, you know, we're training our podcasts back and forth. I was just on yours recently. Appreciate you having me. And we talked about lead generation and franchising. And what I wanted to start our conversation on was really just understanding. I'm going right into it, Charles. What do you see as the top biggest challenges for a new potential franchise or someone that's listening to our show that's thinking about franchising their business? Someone that's in the early stages of someone doing that. What are your three takeaways that are the biggest things to look out for? Well, not even three. The biggest thing to look out for is misdirection and a misunderstanding of the task at hand. And it's not because someone's evil or, you know, the most depressing or it's not depressing. Everything's a life lesson. I'll get a call from franchisors or people that have franchised their business two, three years after they've done it. And they say, hey, Charles, I started off. I worked with XYZ. They said they were going to do sales. We did that for about a year. Didn't sell any franchises. Then I tried something else. Not Didn't sell. And can you help me? Right? And then the conversation goes in multiple directions. Sometimes it's, hey, how come you don't have an item 19? Let's look at your numbers. You really shouldn't have franchised. You're not ready yet. That's one. Two is, hey, this is great. There's potential. But they entered franchising because someone told them it was easy and they're just going to sell. So they didn't have the right expectations. 
And third is they just didn't get great advice where if all these people franchising, they all sound the same, no differentiators on value propositions, and they get stuck. They never gain traction. Maybe they join broker groups. But, you know, again, you join a broker group, it's up to you. They don't really differentiate their brands. And there's so many people out there. There's great people. And then there's people willing to take their money, but no one's willing to sit there, roll up their sleeves and say, okay, if we're going to build a compelling brand, here's the five-year road. By the way, you're not going to make any money for the first four years. You're only going to be spending it. And whatever we do needs to roll over in the next year, build a compelling brand and grow. So I guess I'm answering too much. But to me, that's the biggest issue. And if I want to throw some more craziness into it, you also got to navigate. There's great development companies out there. And then there's not so good ones who end up trying to resell legal services and just give a package of nothing. And that annoys me too. But you didn't ask me what annoys me. We can talk about that for sure. I know we don't have to. I talk about that too much. I just want to talk about positive stuff, growing, scaling, how to beat the odds and, and be the 1% that thrives five years from now, talking to private equity and just changing lives. I love that. So then how does a business know when they're franchise ready, if they should franchise at all? There's plenty of books out there on it, but... Well, the most important thing they could do is to go to the Internicola Law Firm YouTube channel and there's a video exactly on that. When are you ready to franchise? But, you know, Christian, it's a great question. It's when we're evaluating it, it's a couple of things. Brand, founder, slash team mindset, slash industry. Okay? I mean, you need to be in an industry that has room for growth and additional franchisors. Right? I prefer, you know, industries that have more white space, more opportunity. Doesn't mean you can't go into a highly competitive one. But if you do... When you're making this assessment, be ready. We may need more thrust, more capital, more discipline. Most second factor is founder mindset. And I tell people all the time, when a franchise brand succeeds, everyone takes credit. The lawyers, the developers, the broker organizations, right? Everyone's like, this is from us. And it's BS, right? It's the founders, right? And the founders that succeed are the ones that have the fortitude to, hey, I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow organically. I'm going to keep learning, right? So it's that founder mindset that's really going to determine success. And then the other is, is your business ready? Meaning, what do your unit level economics look like, right? What does profitability look like in a realistic situation for your franchisees after you account for franchise-related expenses? And also, you know, back to the founder mindset, you just can't outsource your franchise sales when you're a startup franchisor. You need to, whether you use like, I hate the term guerrilla marketing, but you need to own your brand story. You really need to dive into that, tell that story, really communicate that value proposition, right? And we actually put together some masterclasses for our client. I know Dan used a term that I'm going to keep using. I may claim credit for it too, I have to see. But Dan and I, during our last video, said, you know, these emerging brands should own their underdog status, right? So you need to own it, right? But then you need to really demonstrate what's unique about your brand. So to be ready, you need the unit level economics, but you also as a founder and leadership team need to be ready to execute on a five-year plan. Well, just so you know, I guess you're not up to speed, but Brian Lintz already trademarked that for me. So 
Yeah. You can't do that. All right. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I have a question for you. You know, we're talking about these hungry new franchisors that are, you know, spending time organically growing and learning. What are your thoughts on when someone's extremely new? When I mean they have no locations on providing their concept to friends and family and perhaps maybe giving, you know, if they're able to, if they can find someone that wants to be part of it early in and maybe not charge a franchise fee or do some type of concession with someone new, like a testing person. Do you advise against that or have you seen that work? Well, I think there's sort of a hybrid between there. I don't want to test on anyone, right, when they're putting their capital in. And I'm not a big fan of waiving franchise fees because I feel like you're encouraging someone to become a franchisee for the wrong reasons. I do, when we're speaking with clients, we project out, and again, I love these development companies. They're going to give you a five-year model. Okay, because you might as well throw sticks up in the air and see where they land because you have no clue. But what's important is that year one and two should be organic growth where you season your franchise brand. And what I mean is, you sell your first two, three, four franchises. It may take two years to do it to people that you know organically, like-minded, people that either know your brand, customers, social media, and then over-support them. So I think that's a good way to grow. I think it's probably the most important way to grow because then you build your systems around that. You validate through those franchisees. You build your training So I believe in organic growth. So I agree with half of your point of view or your question, which is grow organically. And that's it. Sell two in the first two years, you know, but don't give it for free. Now, I'm fully okay with taking the 35K franchise fee and then reinvesting it into a marketing plan for them. So I definitely think there's a way to approach it. I think the problem is so many startup franchisors get discouraged because it's hard to sell. And when they call up consultants about franchising their business, they're like, yeah, we're going to franchise it. And this is the best thing ever. And guess what? We're going to sell for you. Oh, this is great. No, it's not. It's horrible. But then they have the wrong expectation. So there's a high, right? You get excited. You issue your FDD, your franchisor, you come to your first conference or you come to your first show, but you don't sell anything. So you got to be ready to withstand that lull and sense of disappointment because you got to get through that lull. That's where the success is on the other side. Yes. The expectation for a lot of people, obviously, they hear a lot of the success stories. They hear about these brands that it's seemingly overnight, but obviously doesn't work like that, where they just take off. They get with an FSO, franchise sales organization, for those in the audience that may not know what that is. And then they have this rapid hockey stick curve growth, but doesn't always work like that. And most franchisors, it never works like that. I think the stat is only about, what is it, 5% of franchisors ever reach the 100-unit mark, and the average length of time it takes to get there is 10 years. It's interesting, though, with that stat. Like, I was at the Emerging Franchisor Conference last week in Nashville, and there's a really great guy, great franchise founder, Matt Friedman there. He started Wing Zone, and he was on stage, and he was saying, why is everyone in such a rush? I agree. You know, you don't have to have 100 units. Like, take your time. Charles, I'm curious to your opinion on this because I started to realize that while the 100 unit number makes sense, is that a little bit more applicable to like a food concept where the royalty is lower and you need a lot more staff because there's real estate involved? What if someone's in a mobile service? Is that a lower number to get to royalty sufficiency? I think there's even more ability to get to 100 units, right? 
I agree with the concept of there's no rush. And using your example, right, the good FSO is doing an amazing job because they're really good organizations. But when you see a brand growing through an FSO, what people also don't see is the five years before that, where the brand was building up its franchisee network, slowly growing at maybe tens of units or 10 units, building up good unit level economics, building up training. And then that's the reason why the FSO took them on. So the way I explain it a lot is if you measure the success of a franchise system over four years, you want to be that company that grew slow over the four years, looks like an underperformer over the four years. But then if you open up the window and look at them from a six-year time horizon, they're the 1% of winners scaling and doing deals with private equity. Like with anything, the brands that do it right the first time, set the foundation properly, plant the seeds now, nurture it, make sure they have the right sunlight, the right nutrients. And then it may not blossom for a few years, but they're set up for success and they're doing it the right way. Whereas I think you can get in a lot of trouble if you don't really know what you're doing. You don't know how to support your franchisees. And then all of a sudden you've sold a bunch of units. You have no idea how to support them. Lawsuits come. I and mean, we could talk about that, how to avoid some of those pitfalls, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm not even worried about the lawsuits. I'm worried about the most important asset we all have, which is time. Mm. You know, you have business owners that are successful in their own business. They have employees, they have teams, they're growing their organization. When they decide to franchise, that's a lot of energy and time. And so more than the money and the mystery, you're losing that time you could put into something else, that energy. So the idea is I'm a big believer, right? I'm a big believer. I'm a big fan of entrepreneurship and what franchising can do. And so, you know, if it's with the right plan and with the right mindset, I think it works. I think the problem is all these people out there that have a solution, but they're really just selling a service. So how does that emerging franchisor vet some of these different companies? You know, that could be law firms, obviously. It could be FSOs. It could be people that are going to help them franchise yeah. their business. What are some of the things to look out for? It's like anything else, right? You have to connect with the people and believe in them and, you know, validate through their clients and go deeper. So I think that's just fundamentals. In what I see in the industry is a lot of confusion. I will see someone who comes to me two years later and they have a regulatory issue. I'm like, who's the lawyer that worked on it? Well, it was the in-house lawyer to the franchise development company. I'm like, who's that? Well, it's so-and-so. I'm like, well, so-and-so is not a lawyer, right? Well, they said the lawyer reviewed it. So be careful. I mean, the one thing I'd be careful of is franchise development companies that say they do everything or have their in-house lawyer or going to refer you to their inexpensive lawyer. They're really just repackaging legal services. You know, I have an issue with that, right? Also, they'll say, hey, but you want to hire us. We do the legal. And Charles doesn't know franchise development, right? And generally, that's true. But we do legal plus franchise development. And there were times I took over a brand. We rehabilitated it. And we crashed, right? Meaning like I learned, you know, <laughs> what I didn't know in a big way. And then opportunity comes from that. If you're enjoying this episode, please click the subscribe button. And make sure to connect with the Franchise Founders Podcast on LinkedIn. So something you touched on earlier, 
I'm sure you have a lot of brands that come across your desk, obviously, from all kinds of different industries. And you mentioned looking for brands that are in industries where there's a ton of white space. Where do you see a lot of white space right now? Where do you see more red chummy water that's a little bit maybe too competitive? So we'll see white space in the merger in the healthcare, right? Where you see franchising entering what was traditionally licensed services, right? We're also seeing white space in sort of micro industries or businesses where they're more supplemental lifestyle type businesses, doing things a little differently, whether it's, I won't to say, you know, because I don't want to excite people about something, but like just taking a product that's commercialized and served everywhere and then taking a very nuanced approach to it. And so I definitely think there's opportunity in services that people don't even know exist, right? So I think there's opportunities there. But then, and this isn't a cop-out, I think there's also white space in traditional industries if you're going to redefine them. And I think the opportunity comes from, look, if you're going to enter industry X or you're going to enter, say, the home care business, you're entering a very saturated market. Now, but if you enter it in a very innovative way with a different approach to your culture, you know, your team, the media you produce, and how you go about it, well, then you're going to stand out from all that static competition. It looks the same. You even confuse all their names. They all do the same thing. There's white space even in traditional industries, but do not go in with a game plan of copying what they do. Like coffee is a saturated space, right? But there's so much opportunity. But it's not going to come, that opportunity doesn't come from a better cup of coffee. It's going to come from something different about the brand, what you stand for and what you do. Exactly, and how it's delivered. Yeah. I totally agree. Like I know for me, like I said, I look at whatever business I'm going to do next, you know, spending time looking at a market, looking at like, is everyone in that market doing one type of branding or story, you know, because sometimes you could just stand out. Like we were talking, Charles, about before we started recording, we are talking about the brothers that just do gutters, right? Like, I mean, first of all, they also had incredible systems, but before they were franchise, they went into a space, they figured out where they can do one thing really well. And then also like this incredible brand, right? It just stands out in the marketplace. Well, and Dan, exactly what you're saying. And to the question earlier that you and Christian had was what makes a successful franchisor? It's the founders, right? It turns out that the founders of Brothers Just Do Gutters, Ryan and Ken, are two amazing people from every aspect of who they are. So it's no coincidence, right? So I love like we're their attorney. It had to do with us. No way, right? I mean, I love them and we'll do anything, but it's those two amazing founders, right? And you know, there were times where, you know, in the beginning, they were just getting started. People weren't interested, right? But they did what they've always done with their business, how they treated people and built an amazing organization. You know, shout out to those guys because I think, you know, if you're in franchising, you see like the amount of success they've had, such a meteorotic amount of locations. But I remember like seven years ago going to their office and it was just the two of them like doing their own discovery days. I'm sure you remember that. You were working with them. Yeah. Dan, I remember us with, either Ryan and Ken at an IFA conference and introducing them to brokers. And someone looks at them now, it's like, oh, they just rocketed. No, they did all the hard work and they grew slowly, right? So in five years, you know, they were very methodical in what they've done. But again, those are founders. 
if anyone's listening who wants to franchise their business, just know you need a team that's going to equip you with this armor, right? And these assets, but it's you, right? That's on this journey and they're a great example. Yeah, the brothers of Just Do Gutters really are the perfect case study for what we've been talking about thus far. Laying that foundation, doing it the right way first, so you don't have to go back and undo any mistakes that you had made. So it seems like they did it right from the first place, which takes time, but you have to be willing to make that investment up front. So in terms of building the right team, like you had just mentioned, what are some of the key players? What are some of the key people that founders should be surrounding themselves with? Because obviously most people, they have this business that has some level of success, obviously, if they're thinking about franchising it. But now they have to learn an entirely new business, an entirely new industry, which is franchising itself. It's a new business. So who are the people and the key players they need to be surrounding themselves with so that they can succeed and win the franchising game? Because it is so new to many of them, to all of them. Yeah. I mean, I think it's mentorship, right? It's who you're working with. I think the great thing about the franchise industry on the other side is amazing people willing to share, right? So the team they're working with initially to develop their franchise earlier was like, what should they look for? Well, they should look for a relationship and value that's going to last over time. And that mentorship, also joining organizations like IFA, and then like reaching out. I mean, like Christian, if someone reached out to you, a new franchisor, you'd talk to them, right? I know like there's some great brokers out there like Lisa Welko and other people that are always willing to speak, right? So it's a great community. So you just have to take advantage of it and reach out. There's so much information out there. And I think I need to do a better job with it. We have our FranX community on Facebook. It's like over a thousand members. We did that. So, hey, you know, there's more communication. Our clients get reached to other people, right? So I think it's key is to build those relationships, right? Even joining broker groups later on to build relationships and see what's going on, right? Not spending a ton of money on promotions when you're not ready, right, with the broker group, but building those relationships and finding you know, genuine people. And there's so many successful franchisors that'll mentor and have conversations. We get so many referrals from people that want to franchise their business and they reached out to us because they had reached out to one of our clients, spoke with them. And so it's a great community, I think. Yeah, it's very interesting. When I joined the franchise community, I didn't realize, I didn't expect to find that it was as collaborative as it would be. You know, I've seen the financial industry where pretty cutthroat, not a whole lot of collaboration, maybe on some level, but not like within franchising. So it really is a different kind of beast, which I find really encouraging. Yeah. I like what you said about joining joining groups and talking to brokers and learning. Because I also think that's a misconception people have that if you join a broker group, you better be ready to launch and take on all these can't like you could join a broker group and just learn and brokers will understand if you come back later with a way bigger system, better system. Dan, I have people like message me on LinkedIn that they joined a broker group and here's my broker offering. They didn't ask my comment. I look at them like, you're not going to sell one franchise, right? But depending on the broker group, they need to be candid and have an honest conversation about expectation. Yeah, I think a lot of franchisors, they think that getting into a broker group, and for those of you that don't know, broker groups are platforms of franchise consultants that you can develop relationships with. You pay money to be on the platform, like an IFPG, for example. And you build these relationships with franchise consultants who can refer you 
franchise candidates. And so I think a lot of franchisors, they hear these stories of brands that get almost all of their leads from franchise consultants. And they think, I'm just going to join these groups. That's my golden ticket. And all of a sudden, I'm going to have all these candidates. And that's just not how it works. Right. And look, I advise our clients to join the groups, but to have the right expectation and to honor the time of the brokers, right? You know, and even before I recommend them joining the group, I'm like, want to see your website locked down, your why you, why now. We actually, for our clients, have a branding masterclass with a workbook. Maybe it's about five hours. I'm like, you have to do this, right? And then you have to know your numbers, right? And then you could at least have really good conversations in the groups. And again, there's definitely opportunity out there to learn. What I love hearing is that you provide so much beyond just law services, right? I mean, you guys provide, it seems, a ton of resources. And that I think that speaks to you and your team that you guys really are out there hoping and helping these franchisors to become successful and not just you know, helping them to put together an FDD, right? Christian, look, life's short. We're internally on our journey here, right? And if it's to support entrepreneurs and franchisors and really help them on their franchise journey, we sit in our traction meetings like, how can we do more and be proud of everything we're doing? And it's a work in progress, right? But yeah, no, I 100% can definitively say, and again, there's a certain type of client and brand that fits in great with us in our community. But I 100% know it is a thousand percent the right decision for them. And we honor it every day. But it's definitely a work in progress. And so from day one, when we go through our development process, my big takeaway for them is, look, in 90 to 120 days, when you're a franchisor, the most important thing I want to avoid is having the question of what comes next, right? So let's plan now for what comes next because that's just the starting point. It's not the goal, right? That's just what we need to get started on this journey. And as we're going through legal and the friend development process, we have a separate track for our clients to help build up on that what comes next. And I think it gives them a good advantage and a good pathway. Obviously, I'm sure you're aware of a lot of the new franchise regulation coming down the way. Is there anything that the audience should be aware of? Anything in terms of people that are currently emerging franchisors or they're thinking about franchising their business? Is there any legislation or anything like that that the audience should be aware of or anything that is concerning to you? Nothing new that's concerning. Look, the mindset should be five years from now, if I'm sitting down with private equity or if I'm selling my company, whether you're going to do that or not, what would the due diligence look like? What does my compliance look like? How do my agreements stand up, right? So to really focus in on the discipline of having a really compliant franchise system, I think that's critical. And I think a lot of emerging franchisors sort of miss the mark on that, not because they don't want to do it, but because they may be getting bad advice. The other thing I would throw on the radar is I think a lot of emerging brands are doing their item 19s in a way that's not optimal. And again, as a franchisor, you don't know what you don't know. So if your attorneys say, we can't do this, we have to do that, you just go with it. But a lot of times I'll see item 19s and stuff that, yeah, this item 19 kind of works for a retail business like a restaurant, but is not scalable for a service-based business that operates in multiple territories or some other variation. So I think 
you really don't have your systems locked down until maybe years four and five. So question everything and look for the opportunity and don't take shortcuts there. Because I think, you know, the shortcuts you're taking is going to result in subpar item 19s or you're going to lose sales and not know it. You're not going to reflect best practices and not know it. And you're going to lose sales traction. And then in year five with private equity, you may have a bigger problem that your assets are not as durable as you think they are. It's interesting, Charles. So what about like private equity and franchisors? Like, are you seeing when your clients are getting to 200 locations or plus or even you know 150, like are you seeing most of them are looking to then exit? Or are you seeing a lot of them are saying, you know, my goal is a thousand. I want to keep going. I did the hard part. Like that kind of hard depends on the owner. Like what are you seeing? Generally, my viewpoint is that the majority of brands will take on private equity, whether it's in a minority position or whatnot, certainly at 80 to 100 unit stage or maybe even less. A lot of founders do exit when they hit that 150 threshold, right? Because it's a lot of work. It's a big journey, right? But you can't always plan on that. We're in an economy that's artificial and fake with liquidity pumping through it ready to give us an economic heart attack, right? So franchising is scalable. You could have a wonderful life with 75 franchisees, great EBITDA, and happy franchisees and building a legacy business, right? And maybe that's going to be the pathway of the future as we rediscover economics over the next couple of years. Obviously, it's an incredible opportunity, right, to have an exit. But I just think that like, you know, it's such a focus now on franchisors. But like you just said, you can have an incredible business where you're having a lot of fun and you're growing it over a period of time. Yeah, I mean, Dan, I'll be honest. If right now I had a system of 150 units and I'm offered a high multiple, I would sell. Yeah, me too. (laughs) That economic climate. It's just what it is at this point. I mean, because you're now talking about I could cash out with generational wealth and I could just start something else. So I think right now, for many people, that's the right answer. Anyone listening who's about to start this journey, that may not be the pathway five years from now. And that's okay too. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because there's two schools of thought. There's, you know, start a business with the end in mind where you can exit it. And then there's just, you know, start a business and make it great. Like I just think back when I started with career transition leads, like, yeah, the exit was in my mind or immediately from day one. But then it was more about like, just like, let's just build a business, right? Let's just build a great product. I think the journey is so important, you know, as a franchisor, that's half the fun, right? Because when you do get that check, I think you might find that you lost some of your purpose. Well, Dan, that's such a great analogy, right? And I could reflect on, you know, the few instances where we would interact or I'd see you at the beginning of that journey, right? As you were building career transitions. And in many ways, for someone who's franchising their business, it's you're entering a new space and you need to own it, right? You didn't succeed, Dan, because you skimmed the surface. You succeeded because you went deep dive into that space and that's what it takes to succeed in franchise. What I love, I have a place at home. They're an at-home care. And I was talking with the founders. We did a video that'll be on our YouTube channel. And I'm like, boy, and it has nothing to do with our firm, right? They're actually, when I discussed earlier about entering space that's saturated, but taking a different approach, I was thinking of them. And as we're speaking, everything they were talking about tied back to their culture, 
tied back to the franchisee training, tied back to the brand. So boy, you know, because that's not marketing or a gimmick. That's like we're living and breathing this and believe in this. And this is at our core, right? Like what you did with career transitions, Dan, right? So it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's the best thing about what I do. It's entrepreneurship, right? We get to see it all day and talk to our clients all day and just fun. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you have to live the brand. You have to love it. Your heart's got to be in it. Yeah. And it's fun to dream of the day when you could exit for a high multiple to private equity and sail off into the sunset. But if that's the only reason you're in it, you're not in it for the right reasons. You have to be there because it's fun. You want to build something. You want to help other entrepreneurs through your brand succeed and be profitable and build businesses of their own and grow together. And I think that I'm of the mind that if you go into it with the mindset that you're just looking for an exit someday, you probably won't even get to that point anyway. <laughs> yeah. Right. You should build it as if, right? Because that brings in a business discipline. But, you know, it's interesting as you build an organization, my experience is, is that all of a sudden, you know, it becomes much bigger than you. And then it becomes sort of generational in many ways. Mm -hmm. And then you start thinking about, the organization and the culture and the right. So for those franchisors too, it's also about their team and the journey of all their team members and the sub journey of their children and whatever schools and changing even just team member lives. Right. No doubt about it. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah. Everything else is BS. <laughs> yeah. I love that. If someone's listening franchisor that wants to chat with you, Charles, what's the best way to reach you? Just go to FranchiseLawSolutions.com or check out our YouTube channel for our law firm, Internacola Law Firm. But it's all good. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Franchise Founders Podcast. If you want our help with anything from buying a franchise to franchising your business to anything in between, shoot us an email at FranchiseFounders at gmail.com. 